Genesis. We're going to be doing a survey of Joseph's life tonight. Genesis 37 is where we'll be in a few moments here. You know, even as Christians, when we think of God's providence, we gravitate towards the positive events of life. And we think to, to ourselves how providential that was that God did such and such. For example, I don't know if you've ever experienced something terrible like a tree falls and it just misses your house or your car and you think, how providential that the tree fell that way and not this way, right? I mean, even this week as I was preparing uh, for tonight, uh, Caleb, our son Caleb had called me when he was on his way home from work. And uh, as, he's, as he's chatting with me, he's driving, uh, going down the highway 65 miles an hour, and all of a sudden he's here, oh, wow! I'm like, oh, what happened? You know, our, our son, if you know him, he's not too excitable. And um, so I'm like, what, what, you know, what's going on? You're driving down the highway. And he, he tells me that just three cars ahead of him, a uh, car in the other lane uh, hit something, went into the air, spun around three times, and hit a pole in the ditch. Um, and we think, you know, my, my gut response is, oh, God, thank you in your providence. You didn't have him in that position. He was far enough back. He was in the other lane. Uh, he was protected. If you've heard... Um, Pastor Walker tells the story of growing up in Ohio, and he tells the story of the tornado coming down, right? You've heard that illustration before. And uh, came down and came down the, the street, and as they hid from the tornado, a uh, two-by-four comes through the wall. He says, you know, went through a, the telephone where his mom just was talking, um, took out and destroyed a house, you know, down the street, but not his. And we think, oh, thank you, God. How great and wonderful is God's providence when wonderful things like that happen. And while that is true, God does those things, and it's wonderful that he does those things to protect us and help us. Rarely, if ever, do we think of the terrible, the difficult, and bitter things that happen in our lives, how they shape and direct us, and think, you know, how wonderful is God's providence to bring that terrible, awful thing into my life. No, we just don't. But that's exactly what we see recorded for us here in Joseph's life, eventually. We see in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it says, As for you, Joseph, further along down the path, he says, As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's where he ended up, but that's not where he started. And, and neither do we. And so tonight, we're going to look at Joseph's life and see not only how God providentially worked in his life, but how Joseph grew in his understanding of God's providential working and his plan for and providential um, work in his life. So if, you would, if you're not there yet, turn back to Genesis 37. In verse 2, we see that Joseph was 17 years old, working as a shepherd for his father Jacob. And it tells us that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. The son of his old age, he's called. We know that's a problem whenever there's a favorite child, and it was a problem here. He was the favorite son. Uh, Jacob made him a, a special robe of many colors. And, the, and so we're told that the brothers hated him, and they didn't relate to him very well at all. And, 
And later in verse 5, we see that Joseph is given a dream, a revelatory dream from God. And Joseph decides to tell his brothers what that dream was all about. And we're, we're told in verse 7 that the dream was that him and all his brothers were uh, in the field binding sheaves. And, the she- and his, his sheaf stands up and all theirs gather around him and bow down to his. And as you can imagine, the brothers didn't think too highly of that. Now you're telling us you're the favorite son, you get the robe, you get the special treatment from dad, and now you're telling us that we're all going to bow down to you. And so it, the Bible tells us that they hated him even more. I'm not quite sure what Joseph was thinking at that point. Um, but it says that uh, he decides to tell his, his brothers that dream. Verse 9 tells us that he has a second dream. And again, he decides to tell his brothers this one too. And most of you are familiar with this, this account. And in this dream, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to him. With an, with an obvious, obvious interpretation of this dream of what's going on. The sun, the moon, is Jacob and his wife. The 11 stars are his 11 brothers, and they're all bowing down to him. No surprise, verse 11 says that his brothers grew even more jealous of him. And just a few verses later, Joseph's brothers are taking care of their flocks, and, and Jacob decides to send Joseph to go check on them, make sure that they're okay. He finds them in Dothan, and verse 18 tells us that they saw him afar off, and before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. And so they prepare to do just that. They take him and they throw him in a pit. And if you're familiar with the story, you know the creative story that they gave their father, Jacob, how they tore up his, his special robe of many colors, they dipped it in the goat's blood, took it back, and Jacob believed that. A band of Ishmaelites come by and end up selling him as a slave to them. Psalm 105 gives us a little insight as to how Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph um, was during that time. It says, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, uh, verse 17, <clears throat> his feet were hurt with fetters, his neck was put in a collar of iron. Doesn't sound like a very pleasant time for Joseph, being sold as a slave, being bound in the irons. The end of Genesis 27, verse 36, tells us that the Midianites ended up selling Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, the Pharaoh's captain of the guard. So here you find Joseph, age 17, separated from his family, uh, abused by his brothers, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign land, sold as a slave. How do you think Joseph's doing? Praise God for his wonderful providential work in my life. No, he's not there yet. We're not told what Joseph is thinking or feeling at this time, but it's pretty evident from, uh, from that that he has gone through a terrible, a terrible time. Um, Touched, you know, terrible treatment by his brothers, thrown in a pit, sold as a slave, separated from his family in a foreign country. He could have easily forgotten the revelatory dreams that God gave him, although we soon see that he hadn't forgotten his God. So we see in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 39, we see Joseph serving in Potiphar's house. It's notable throughout the next few chapters that it says repeatedly, God is with Joseph and the Lord blessed whatever Joseph was doing. Here in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. We see it again in verse 5. 
And then we, if you're familiar with the story, you, you know that Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. He refu- refuses. And in verse 9, we see that he had not forgotten God when he says, How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And then we see at the end of chapter 39, we find Joseph in prison because of Potiphar's wife's accusation. So again, he's in prison, but again we see verse 21, verse 23, but the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. Genesis 40 now, we don't know how much time has passed, but it says, verse 1, some time after this, Joseph's now a little bit older, he's still in prison. We're told about the king of Egypt's cupbearer and baker and how they ended up in prison. They both have dreams, and Joseph says, my God interprets dreams, and so he interprets their dreams. And in verse 14 to 15, he pleads with the cupbearer to remember him so that he might get out of prison. He says, only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For indeed, I, I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph's interpretation of the dreams come true. The chief baker is hung. The cupbearer is restored to his position. But in verse 23 it says, Yet the cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Until chapter 41. Chapter 41, we see after two whole years, two more years of Joseph's life being wasted in prison. Pharaoh has two dreams. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, I know someone who can interpret dreams. Joseph can. So Joseph's brought out of prison. He interprets the dreams. And Pharaoh, who was king over the most powerful kingdom on earth. If you think back to that time, Egypt was <clears throat> the most powerful nation on earth. And Pharaoh, who was king over that nation, puts Joseph in charge of everything. Verse 46 tells us that Joseph was now 30 years old when Pharaoh was put him in power. That seven years of plenty was going to come and go. And we read that Joseph now has married and he has two boys. So as we consider Joseph's thinking and growing awareness of God's providence, it's, it's interesting to note the Hebrew names that he gave his two sons in verses 51 and 52. Manasseh, God has made, which mean, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the second he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. So how was Joseph doing at this point? It sounds like all the blessings of being in Pharaoh's house, if you read the details of chapter 41, it's, it's pretty amazing, the lifestyle that you can imagine. He now enjoyed living in Pharaoh's house, king of all Egypt. And according to the meaning of the names of his two boys, although he notes the hardship and the affliction that he has endured, the pain his brothers caused him, now he's kind of put that behind him. And Joseph's life story continues. The seven years of famine begin, and we see in Genesis 41, 50, uh, verses 56 and 7. So when the famine had spread over the, all the land, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Genesis 42, we see that Jacob sends ten of his sons to Egypt also to get food because of the famine. 
Verse, verse 6 says, Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Sounds familiar, right? Genesis 42, verse 9, And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. Joseph's now 30 years old. 13 years had passed since he was 17 years old. Joseph had been abused by his brothers, sold into slavery, taken to a foreign country, completely separated from his family, sold as a slave to Potiphar's house, falsely accused, thrown into prison for two more years, forgotten about, finally put into position of power. Second, most powerful man in the world next to Pharaoh. He's now gotten married and has two boys. And what happens? His brothers show up and bow down before him and he remembers the dreams. Genesis 42 and 40 through 44, all kinds of drama and emotions as Joseph tests his brothers to see what kind of men they grew to be. In fact, I'd encourage you, if, you, if you're not familiar, to read these chapters again. It's fascinating to see all the interplay that happens there. Genesis 45 is the big reveal. Joseph's brothers are there. He sends everyone else out of the room, and he tells them that he is Joseph. If you, if you can imagine the scene, they, have, they haven't seen his, their brother for 13 years. They sold him into slavery a long ways away. They think he's probably dead and gone. They're now standing in front of the most powerful, well, second most powerful person in the world, who holds their lives in his hand, and he says, I'm your brother Joseph. It says, it says in verse 3, his brothers couldn't speak, for they were dismayed, dismayed at his presence. Surprise! You think Joseph was long gone, maybe dead? And it's Joseph. And now it appears that Joseph is starting to finally get it. He's, he's seeing God, his, his role in God's plan. Verse 5 says, And do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse 8, So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. The brothers go home, tell their father Jacob about Joseph being alive. In verse 26, it says that his heart became numb because he didn't believe him. Again, you can imagine the scene with his father who thinks that Joseph is long dead. Eventually he recovers and he moves to Egypt with the whole family. And then we come to Genesis 50, the, really the climax of Joseph's life story. Jacob, Joseph's father, dies, and his brothers fear now that now that dad's gone, that Joseph's now going to take his chance and take revenge on his brothers who abused him and sold him into slavery and ruined his life. In Genesis 50, verses 15 to 20, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they conspired. They, they were always planning. And they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Verse 16 says, So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of the God of your father. Which made Joseph cry. He says, Joseph wept. 
when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, you know, Behold, we're your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, what we read before, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph recognized that although his brothers meant and did evil to him, God was using their evil actions for good. The big question for us tonight, though, is what good? What good? Joseph suffered at the hands of his brother, slavery, prison, forgotten for years. God meant it for good. But what good? Was the good the fact that Joseph ended up in a powerful position uh, with a family? Was the good that Joseph's brothers came and bowed before him, fulfilling the revelatory dream that he had as, as a young man? Was the good simply that all of this ended up helping his brothers and dad survive the famine as well as all of the Egyptians? It's bigger than that. It's bigger than Joseph. It's bigger than his family. And although it's not spelled out for us, it's bigger than the nation of Egypt and the surrounding groups being affected by the famine. See, the fall happens in Genesis chapter 3. And there's a covenant promise in the form of a curse to the serpent. In Genesis 3.15 it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The curse defined the battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. There was a promise of the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent and the evil one. And from that day, people looked forward to the coming of the promised one. And so we see in Genesis chapter 4, we're introduced to the seed of the woman, Seth. In Genesis chapter 5, there are ten generations from Adam to Noah through the godly, godly line of Seth. The promise, and the promised seed was preserved. There's a big reset for humanity uh, with Noah and the flood. Because Noah's family was the only family to survive. And Noah has three sons, and we find out that Shem is the promised seed. Eventually, we get to Abram, better known as Abraham, the promised seed, who has two sons, but only one can be the promised seed, and Isaac is that one. Isaac has twins, and Jacob is the promised seed. Jacob has 12 sons, but which one is the promised seed? If you read this section of Genesis, all these chapters that cover Joseph's life, you might think that it's Joseph, as much attention is given to his life. But it's not. Joseph was there, and God worked in his life providentially to preserve the promised seed, who was Judah. Further down the line, we see David, and eventually Jesus. So again, what good is Joseph talking about in Genesis 50, verse 20? The good is the preserving of the godly seed in the line of the Messiah, Jesus. Did Joseph understand everything about how he fit into God's plan in Jesus? No. But he obeyed everything about how he fit into God's, I'm sorry, but he obeyed and he knew what he knew and trusted that in the good and, and in the bad, that God was working good. And that's what we're told in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. 
What is that good? Sorry to be a spoiler, but it's not about us. God doesn't work all things to make our lives easier or better or happier. Good is a big picture good. Redemptively accomplishing God's story on earth good. One of the greatest mistakes we make when trying to understand God's providence is to think that he is working providentially in our lives for our benefit, that it's all about us. Now, we recognize, even from Dennis' story, that there are benefits to living in God's story in our lives. Raising children that know and love you, avoiding a lot of pain that comes from living a wicked lifestyle, benefits of being a good worker, being a good husband. But God is working providentially providentially in our lives and in every person's life in the world to accomplish his story, his big redemption story for mankind for his glory. If that doesn't happen overnight, it doesn't normally happen when you're 10 years old or even when you're 20. Normally as we grow in our knowledge of God, his word, and his plans for the world, we grow in our understanding of how he is working in our lives providentially to accomplish his story. I was glad that Dennis was able to come and and share some of his story. How God saved him and brought him to FBC. As I shared, he's been an integral part of Faith Baptist Church in the 25 years that I've been here. But it was no accident or coincidence that Dennis is here. God worked providentially in his life through all the stories that he related to us. Now there were benefits and blessings that he and Sue received from living in God's story. But that's not the point of God's work in his life. And God has given us the Bible so that we may know him and understand what he is doing in this world and, and how the story ends. And to further illustrate and hopefully hit home the point of God's work and his providence in this world and in our lives, I've asked Chris Walker to come and share uh, a testimony of God's providential work in their family. 